It seems today that all you see is violence in movies and sex on TV. But where are those good old-fashioned values on which we used to rely? Lucky there's a family guy. Lucky there's a man who positively can do all the things that make us laugh and cry. He's a family guy! Chatri Sichiodong, the founder and the CEO of One Championship, is gonna pay you $50 to take your Pants off! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast on the Fight Side Podcast Network with myself, your host, Silas Martin. My co-host is always Christian Reynolds. And as you heard in the intro, Tumin's back, the fucking mad lad. Hi. It talk about the fights that we talked about last week and uh, the one that we just did commentary for. And the first thing we're going to get into today, because it was by far the most meaningful thing to happen in combat sports in the last week or so, as far as I'm concerned, Demetrius Johnson avenged his uh, devastating knockout loss to Adriana Marias in one championship with an even more beautiful, disgusting, just savage knee knockout. Um, it was an absolutely fantastic fight, like a genuine fight of the year candidate, knockout of the year candidate, performance of the year candidate. Um, so I mean, let's let's just get straight into it. Uh, we were talking a lot last week about you know what's DJ gonna do differently um, in you know, uh, in order to make this a more winnable matchup, and it, it was like it was largely just doing the same. Like strategically, he had the same idea, just implemented it tactically a little better. Um, yeah, just being tighter, sort he, of. Yeah, t- and yeah, ma- mainly just did a ton more shifting combinations just to like fuck with Marias's defense and like be able to get in and out uh, really quickly on the much taller, longer guy. It's obviously a big issue in this matchup. Um, But, you know, part of it was just sticking to the plan and and getting your shit together. You know, he still got hurt in the second round. Uh, Marias caught him with a cheeky high kick just off the top, skimmed off the top of the head while DJ was switching southpaw, which had DJ on skates, and then he shot a double double leg. good composure by DJ, I have to add. Mm -hmm. It, he didn't fall apart after the, uh, the head kick. He didn't uh, show visible concern or anything like that. Just business as usual. Can continue doing what I'm doing. Stayed yeah. solid defensively. Yeah, went, went for a double leg and Marais ended up sprawled out and you know, st- still in that position landing some pretty brutal knees and it just seemed like DJ being a little bit more of aware that of Marais really trying to get knees off in that position that let him just... Uh, it was a scary position, but DJ kept uh, doing... He did a good job of defending his head and protecting his head. So uh, Marais was mostly open for... DJ was mostly open for knees to the body, and Marais kind of over-focused on finishing DJ then and there. 
perhaps, mm-hmm. which may have factored into him uh, slowing down in the later rounds. Yeah, and then it seemed like, particularly in the third round, it, <coughs> it almost seemed like Marias was worse for wear than DJ was. Because I, th- I think DJ, I, I mean, uh, Marias is a famously very patient fighter, um, which I think part of that is maybe concerns about his cardio. And uh, part of it is just like, part of it I think is just his style. Like he's a, he's a patient back foot counter puncher who wants to like frustrate you into making mistakes. And DJ was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to stay in your face and I'm going to make you make mistakes. And he really started pulling that off in the third round, like getting, getting really nice, just like darting in with, with a couple of big shots and getting off on an angle, um, doing really good work with his kick feints into those kind of shifting combinations it kind of sort of reminded me of Piotr Jan's performance against Hanhagen mm-hmm. in the sense that it was still, uh, it was obviously a different matchup. Uh, not also a tall guy, but not one that throws uh, a shit ton of volume and goes to the body a lot. Uh, it's what's more, uh, the parallel came from what DJ did, which is hand fight, uh, long, long guard, uh, Lots of shifts, hiding the um, uh, hiding the body kick, blasting the body kick off shifts, and presenting those uh, body, those body kicks uh, as threat to in order to better pressure Marais. Yeah, it's a, a, a that's a really good comparison, and um, he also just uh, he exploited something that we've talked about like a few times, which is just that uh, if you make MMA fighters really commit to like defensive footwork, moving backwards. They will at some point just start like hopping and putting their feet together, and uh, you know, there's only so many steps backwards any MMA fighter will take yeah. before they just fucking hop. It's just a side effect of how many hours you have to put into which categories of your game. Like um, uh, you can't, you obviously can't do uh, footwork drills. Uh, for as many rounds as, for example, a boxer does, or, or a kickboxer, or a Muay Thai fighter, whatever. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't blame the fighters for it. It's just a thing, and it's cool to see when fighters are really aware of this and able to capitalize on it. And this was an absolutely beautiful sequence uh, in the fourth round where DJ, um, he like, uh, he like, like you say, he was uh, doing a lot of shifts off of the threat of that body kick, and he does that like while well, switching from southpaw to orthodox, and then steps in and. Well, as he's stepping in, Marias uh, tries to land like a counter left hook, but DJ ducks under. And as Marias is fading back from the left hook, DJ steps through with a big right hand that uh, has Marias pretty badly hurt. He goes stumbling back like a giraffe that just got shot. And as DJ gets him to the cage, he just fucking pins his face to the cage with a picture-perfect flying knee, just an instant walk-off kill shot. He got him with a mighty penis menace. <laughs> Which is what <laughs> Tuman is calling that combination. Yeah, I mean, it's, he, the, it's the mighty whiz bar, but for uh, striking combinations. DJ can call the fucking the the, the suplex armbar the mighty whiz bar. I can call the uh, the slip right hand into the flying knee a mighty penis minute. You can you uh, can it's do my it right as a fan. No, you can do it when you win an MMA title with it, Tuman. DJ has jurisdiction um, over this shit. He can okay, this shit I'm gonna try and do that then, and name my combination the mighty penis means. I respect. I'm that. gonna do it. Yeah, you don't even have to switch weight class. You can just do it to Marais at the same weight he is right okay, now. Okay, sure. Yeah, okay. be the same weight. Yeah. What, light heavyweight. 
Yeah, I, I think DJ had maybe his best attrition performance ever in this fight, which was nice to see because he's always been really good at controlling either the fight or, or just denying control of the fight to his opponent on the feet, whereas this one he was actually consistently setting up body attrition and kicking the leg against a taller opponent that's liable to gas because he's so large. And also not afraid of kicking with the taller guy because the other the, the taller guy wasn't as kicky as DJ was. Yeah, like DJ was landing really hard body kicks from the first round, and the two minutes that Control Marais got on the ground in the first round didn't really add up to much. If anything, DJ won it pretty consistently. He landed a nice elbow that cut him. Yeah, DJ's guard retention looked great. He was doing cool, like little neat tricks with up kicks that didn't amount to much, but it was still a nice look to see. Yeah, he did great like work from guard to just annoy Marias and stay in the fight, particularly in that second round where it seemed like Marias had DJ more out of there than you know, if thought he had DJ more out of there than he actually did. And DJ just did like a bunch of kind of irritating veteran tricks. And then by the end of the third round, Marias was kind of a bit knackered and out of ideas, and DJ kinda had him where he wanted him. Yeah, and something that surprised me, but like not in a bad way, it was just I didn't expect DJ to be as consistent with his stance switching in this fight as he was. Because, you know, he's always switched stances, but he's never had a fight where... He did he's, a ton in this fight. Yeah, he's never had a fight like this before where he's just switching stances near constantly to always hide the distance and, like, cover his own escapes as well. Because Marais would be trying to enter and then DJ would switch stance and be there with the lead hand ready to counter him. Or he would switch stances as he enters and Marais would give up a bunch of ground and then DJ wouldn't even have to do anything. He could just continue and walk forward and back into his original stance. And After a certain point, DJ just started walking at Marais forward. Like, Yeah, that's where I was getting, yeah. <laughs> there, there was a part in the third round where uh, DJ got off the fence and then just walked in a straight line towards Marais and Marais walked in a straight line backwards as well. <laughs> it's just a really funny sequence. And uh, to just add a little something about the stance switching... Uh, frequently, like as a general rule, personally, I'm not a fan of stand switching. Was also what got DJ hurt in this fight. Yes, primarily for that reason, and also because stand switching is frequently used like aimlessly in fights. In this case, it was more like a calculated risk on behalf of DJ. Like DJ decided, okay, I'm gonna stand switch a lot, and I'm gonna stand switch in order to set up such and such threats. And this is going to get me clanged, but that's okay, because this lets me to fire off more offense than I would normally be able to. With other fighters, less proficient fighters than DJ, it's mostly like, uh, I'm going to just stand switch, and uh, Joe Rogan said that stand switching is cool, so I'm going to do that. Or at most it might be like, oh, that guy's going to Southport, he's going to throw a big old left kick. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the difficulty with it, though, is that it's actually fairly consistent to that switching stances will just get you benefit in MMA because people aren't equipped to deal with stance-switching threats. Like, you don't even have to be good at it. You can just switch stances over and over, and it'll confuse someone's Paradoxically, offense. Paradoxically, despite it being so prevalent. And uh, the reason for that, I think Slack talked about it, because uh, everyone gets hung up on this idea, like, oh, the, the whole dynamic of the matchup changes completely. Instead of... Uh, instead of the right kick, he's going to blast the left kick. What am I going to do about that? And so it just kind of throws everyone for a loop. Yeah, I think DJ 
despite being 36, he's still very much competent, but he's not in his prime anymore. Like his speed looks almost there. His chin, however, is, is definitely regressed some. He can still take a shot with the, some of the best of them, but he gets hurt in like, I mean, his last two fights, he's, he's gotten hurt pretty badly. And Rice isn't a light hitter by any means, but I feel like he was just normally more uh, averse to getting hit like that throughout his early career and, and mid-career. There's no way that at this point, uh, uh, DJ's aging this deep into a career that he wouldn't have lost a couple of steps. But uh, Demetrius Johnson losing a couple of steps is still a, an absolutely magnificent fighter to watch. It's great to still get to see him put these kind of performances in. And the kind of performances that are absolutely still adding to a legacy as rich as Demetrius Johnson's. Like this is, I, I worry that people will underrate this win a little bit because, you know, Adriano Marias, you know, lots of people know he's a good fighter, but you, you never hear people talking about like, oh, this is the best guy outside of the UFC, you know, uh, and all this stuff. But, you know, we, we should know how good Adriano Marias is because he knocked out a Demetrius Johnson, who's still capable of putting out performances like this. You know he's he's dangerous. He's got a really dangerous skill set. He's fucking massive, and he only has he has three losses before this that are all to, that are all by split decision, which absolutely tracks that he would lose by split decision. I, I see a lot of people like discounting this win and discounting that loss as a, a byproduct of exactly those factors that you just described. Adriana Moraes is massive, like uh, like whatever. DJ like just lost to some fucking giant who's not good, or whatever. DJ just got need in a rule set that he's not used to because he fought in a different rule set his entire career. And I would like to reverse all this feedback, this criticism, and say that if anything, this really adds to the to to DJ's legacy because one fucking massive opponent, two completely unfamiliar rule set that adds a completely new dynamic on the ground. Three, came back from that devastating loss against, again, a gigantic guy. Not just gigantic. Adriano Marais is a good fighter and he's really dangerous. A, a good fighter that knows how to do things correctly. And as we and talked about last week, is actually just a difficult style matchup for Demetrius Johnson. Yes, and I mean, it's it's an incredibly impressive win. This deep into such a long career, storied with uh, su such a long, uh, such a long and storied career with lots of wins over incredible guys, incredible fighters. Uh, I mean, just uh, trying to when, whenever people try to sort of like downplay this win, the, the only thing that I'm that I gather from. Um, this tendency is just that people are kind of uh, still sleeping on Mighty Mouse, and it's kind of sad. Yeah, DJ went to one and is doing his old man Aldo arc, but people aren't seeing it because it's in one. Mm -hmm. So they don't get to see him legit still being the, the prime talent, though not in his prime. All, all of this goes not just for this win over Marias, but for uh, DJ's wins uh, in the flyweight tournament that like got him the title shot in the first place. These are all still like solid, competent opponents who were all fucking massive. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, are, are they like career defining wins? But no, they're still like, uh, 
They're still impressive. They're, they're still impressive the wins for someone and, at that stage of their career. And they still, like, like, I still think, add to a legacy when when you're at that point. I'm looking at DJ's uh, Wikipedia page, and the KO is listed as a Flying Dutchman. What? I, su- I, I guess it's a, it's a reference to Remy Bonjaski. Oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, that's not, not, nah, he's just a really big SpongeBob not, not really, fan. Not really a move that Remy ever did specifically. He was just like a he was just a jumpy kicky guy. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Uh so someone just wanted to flaunt that he knows Remy Bonyaski, I guess. I guess. whatever. Um but yeah, just anyway, continue as you were. Last just last thing I want to say about the legacy of Demetrius Johnson that I kinda of touched on in the commentary we did just that this is an all-time great fighter i think inarguably like top three one of the greatest mixed martial arts of all time who's like the most significant moments of his career are like punctuated by sick fucking style points (laughs) like he doesn't just win he doesn't just get that rematch back he's like no i'm gonna knock this guy out with a way nastier just more ridiculous knee than he got me with. But yeah, like, like I said, when we just watched it, DJ knew that the fight was over about three seconds before me or the ref or anyone did. He didn't even look at his fallen opponent before he just jogged off to go about his day. <laughs> I mean, and if, the, if the, I you, landed like, you, a flying knee after a gigantic overhand off a counter, I would hope so. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah, you, know, but you know, a lot of fighters, in it, you know, particularly in a fight, that would be important to be like, oh, fuck, got to make sure he's dead. Fuck, kill him, fuck. True. That is true. And it would also be allowed because someone like Herb Dean would be referring. Mm-hmm. And it just it just looked so cool. And you add this to stuff like the fucking Mighty Wiz bar and the fact that Demetrius Johnson, like, made a point of submitting Wilson Hayes just to be an asshole. Just what, what a career. Yeah, and finish Kyoji in the last second. Like, DJ has had consistently one of the most impressive careers in combat sports. And it's a testament to that, that he's able to still be able to do that type of shit this late into his career. Because most guys, they would have, like, used up all of their durability doing all this. But DJ is still hanging in there because he's also a very smart fighter, despite uh, being a bit of a wild man that will sell out for crazy offense. But he doesn't sell out in a bad way. He He just knows how good he is. Yeah, it stems from confidence rather than just wanting to do shit. Yeah. Uh, it's not blind arrogance. He's, he just will do crazy shit because he's good enough to do it. Just like the proprioception that that guy has to be like, okay, well, he's there. The cage is there. So if I jump here, boom, <laughs> it's just fucking crazy. Yeah, it's, just, it's just a sort of instinct that, that you are born with. It's not something you can really develop. You can make it better. You can get better at seeing like the openings. Yeah, but that's uh, also what, like, fundamentals are for. <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, and the, the slickest part of the entire thing wasn't even the knee or the right hand. It was between that, where he stayed perfectly distanced yes. right mm-hmm. after the right hand and then yes. landed the knee. It's just, it, it's this innate understanding of distance and the weak points and where you should place your shots in order to get the perfect results. And in grappling as well, uh, DJ just goes... Just in general, DJ just goes for what he sees. And what he sees may not be something that any other fighter would see. 
Yeah, it's just kind of the, it's it's what people talk about when they talk about vision and shot selection and all that. because yeah, uh, DJ like, is so fucking fast that he can just see like three seconds into the future. Yes, pretty much. Man. And also, it was a really funny moment when uh, DJ won and uh, received the belt, and uh, the, the fucking fucking Mitch Chilson came up to him and I was like, "Daddy Chatry." Is gonna give you fifty thousand dollars, and uh, DJ was like, "Yeah, sure, that, 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 I could pay some taxes with that." Okay, cool. One day's worth of Twitch chat money. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm gonna go and treat my kids to like fifty pizzas. Uh, I got some coupons left over. Maybe I'll save up on those as well. It's just, just the complete disregard for Chattery was, and uh, the. All the one bullshit uh, was was very refreshing because it's kind of sad for me to see like all these excellent Muay Thai fighters from Thailand who come to NFC and then uh, fucking Mitch Chilson stands there with his fucking robot face and goes like, uh, "Oh, our baby daddy is handing us fifty thousand dollars in the same voice over and over again," and the, the fucking Thai fighters start crying. Yeah, using these really exploitative shots of, you know, great fighters they have from impoverished countries. It's quite sinister, but uh, standard yes. one championship stuff. Also shows an issue with, like, the standardized uh, pay for that type of bonus, where if you give Demetrius Johnson $50,000, he's like, cool, that's that's worth, like, a week of bills or something with how affluent he is at this point. Whereas for most of the TIE fighters, like, wow, that is double the money I've ever made. Like throughout my entire career combined. Yeah. Like, like that's more money than I have ever made in my Muay Thai career that spans 10 years in one night. But at the same time, we're saying all of this stuff. Uh, I like seeing Nongo get, get big checks, you know? And I like seeing Chetri's sour, sour face. Like he bit on a lemon after Nongo won. That, that was awesome. Why does he hate Nongo? I don't get it. I don't fucking know. I have no... I, just is, uh, yeah, I guess this is uh, a good a time as any to just talk about the next fight. Yeah. Um, yeah, Nongo, he just fucking did it again. Didn't even break... <laughs> destroyed Liam Harrison. Yeah, didn't even break a sweat. Kind, kind of like, you know, like Liam was kind of hot, holding holding his own with the kick and dynamic early and uh, just as they were starting to get into the kitchen and really start to throw down, uh, Liam, like Nongo just turned off Liam Harrison's leg with two perfect low kicks. That was it. Like, maybe, maybe Chatry's just mad that Nongo never has to display any like warrior spirit or anything because he's just too good. Yeah, leg kicks beat warrior spirit like eight times out of ten. Just, uh, just wondering. He he sees Nongo, he he sees Nongo destroy uh, excellent fighters in the round easily and goes like, "Where are those good old fashioned values in his head?" And <laughs> over and over again, it plays on the loop in his brain. <laughs> did did uh, Chatry actually like ignore Nongo? Did he? Oh, I, I didn't see it on Nongo? this one. I just remember after um, after Nongo knocked out Felipe Lobo, and Chatry went to hand him his belt. Nongo just kind of went to shake the boss's hand after he handed him his belt, and Chatry just like walked off and didn't even look at him. No, oh. I thought it was just incredibly unprofessional. <laughs> 
Yes, and I mean, uh, very unprofessional. But Nano stays winning. Yeah, so and it, it doesn't really affect him. Not seeing that guy losing anytime soon, even at his age. Nongo also busted out his English skills for the post-fight interview. Oh, yeah, he's been working on it. Yeah, he's pretty good at it. See, Chatri, he's even trying to be marketable to a Western audience. What the fuck do you want out of this guy? He's like one of the greatest strikers of the last 20 years. Just reminded of uh, a visual of a... There was a strong man named Kadzmeyer, and uh, he participated in like a deadlift contest, but it was one of those weird deadlifts. The bar was like square and dug into his dug into his hands, and uh, the Scandinavian judge just refused to call good lift for like a good minute, and Kazmaier stands there, face completely red, eyes bulging out of his skull, about to explode, muscles about to explode, everything's about to explode, just completely tense, holding this weight, just couple seconds passes. Five seconds passes, ten seconds passes, and Kazma just can't just um, can't hold it anymore, and he just yells out, "What the fuck do you want, mate?" <laughs> and that's basically me with, with Nongel and Chatri's uh, ignoring of Nongel. Yeah, this is uh, mainly what we have to talk about here because the fight ended so early. Uh, I hope it, it lasted hope it like a couple of seconds. Yeah, I hope it wasn't like a significant, like long-lasting damage for. For Liam Harrison, kind of just seemed like his his leg fell asleep, and this is, uh, and you know he has he has had a bunch of like ACL surgeries and stuff over the last few years. So I don't know. I haven't looked up on it, but uh, people talked about ligament damage. But the way it looked to me, it's just that his leg just went dead. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't seem like the reaction of someone who'd like blown out their ACL or something. It just it, like yeah, I say, it just just going, ah. genuinely looked like his leg was asleep, and he was looking at his leg like what. What are you doing? Come on. Um, yeah. Yeah, rough loss, but to an all-time great. And Lim's, he's at that point in his career where everything here is a bonus anyway. A um, couple other things to mention. There was some good stuff. Like like I was saying, if you just didn't have any fights to watch this weekend, then it's, it's worth going back and checking out the card. Um, we had the conclusion to... The one flyweight Muay Thai Grand Prix, um, in which uh, Rod Tang, uh, I'm not actually entirely sure why, but he had to pull out of his fight with uh, he Savar failed Michael. to provide a hydration test, which is also, didn't Arjona Marias fuck up his hydration? I, I don't know. Yes, and I, I mean, one way and have always been a complete shit show, and I do not understand how it works. No. Even now that they do the public weigh-in shows, I'm still just like, what the fuck is going on here? For some, for some insight, you could go to John Wayne Parr's Instagram, and he has a post in there apologizing to one officials for fucking up the process. And, <clears throat> and uh, sort of like unintentionally, John Wayne Parr, through his apology, reveals how convoluted the whole process is. Right. And I, I cannot even begin to convey how fucked up it is, but just go there, find <laughs> yeah. the post, and read it, and just be amazed. It's a complete shit yeah, show. Yeah, Parr probably fucked up. He probably fucked up his NDA through just being dumb and, and not really knowing. Essentially, how to, yes, how to that's what that. happened. That's the post. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's like, hey, sorry, you know, about all these things that are included in the non-disclosure agreement to to not say anything about because it's very clearly shady. And, you know, some fighters definitely do cut weight. And, like, I'm sure all of them do cut some weight because there's, like, video of the fighters cutting weight and it seems very good. So there's strict weight classes and there's multiple weight class champions. So, yeah, they definitely do. Yeah, but, uh, like, they they cut weight, but it's, it's to a weird extent. Because it's very inconsistent and it's not very strict. One wants as many champions as it possibly can. As many world champions. Multiple world champions. In all sports. Greatest. Greatest at what they do. Everyone is greatest. Everyone is the best. At multiple disciplines. So anyway, Pampayak, uh, one of Rod Tang's teammates, ended up stepping in to fight uh, Savar Michael. Um, and he uh, absolutely fucking wiped Savar Michael off of the face of the planet. Uh, he, like, you know, kind of just spent the first round just completely freezing Michael by punct- punctuating every exchange with just the fastest, hardest left high kick you've ever seen. Um, and then in the second round, he just, like, threw away a jab to put uh, Savar Michael's guard in place and then did a right hook around it. I'm pretty sure he knocked out uh, Savar Michael with the right hook and the uh, completely clean left high kick that he hit uh, Michael in the chin with on the way down was uh, completely unnecessary. Nasty knockout. It's like the, it's it's uh, the equivalent of a standing coffin nail, essentially. Mm-hmm. Except the coffin nail was performed with a fucking chin. Yeah, <laughs> to the fucking chin. Well, but before <laughs> before the guy could even touch the ground, it was. It was pretty nasty. It's fucking horrendous. Sick. Awesome. Uh, sick is the best word to describe it, really. Uh, the other fight in the semifinals for the Muay Thai Grand Prix, um, Superlek Kiat Macau for Walter Gonçalves. And, uh, I mean, Superlek just immediately knocked him out in the first round. He just landed, like, two elbows. I think the first one was, uh, like, an, like, an intercepting elbow. As uh, Gonzalez was, was stepping in, uh, but he kind of popped straight back up and the ref didn't count it. And then Superlek kind of just did like like a long elbow around the guard. It was, like, it was just like a long left hook, but with his elbow. And he just knocked the guy out. It's great seeing, uh, great seeing elite ties work around guards in uh, tiny little gloves. The best part of one, really. Mm-hmm. It's just that, except except the 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 the, uh, the the gloves could be turned into mittens. No need to. Yeah, on fingers. whatever. Um, but that sets up the final everyone wanted for this tournament. I mean, you know, this is the thing with tournaments; they're always snake bit, and there's always dropouts and weird things that you don't see coming. The tournament was pretty clearly set up to try and have uh, Rod Tang versus Jonathan Haggerty three in the final round. Now, both of them have dropped out for various reasons, and the final will instead be Pampayak versus Superlek 8. That's right, they fought seven times before. Um, I think Pampayak has four wins, Superlek has two, and they have a draw. But Superlek won the last one. So maybe one day we'll get a conclusion to that one. Get fucking hope! Oh, f- uh, before I forget, I'm sorry, before I forget, B- uh to, to rant some more about Mitch Chilson, just kind of like compare the styles of presentation between the UFC and one. 
So let's just frame it this way. If the UFC had to come up with like a false flag operation to completely discredit any possible opposition it could face in the market, uh, one would be it with minimal changes. Because in this situation, like, okay, so Bucecha comes in, has a, an excellent performance, submits uh, his guy with, with, with heel hook in the, in the first round, like, easily. Then, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if... Um, you, you guys have heard about this, right? Like, Leandro Lowe, BGJ legend, got, uh, was shot dead by, by a cop. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. After a bar altercation, yeah. And Bochecha was good friends with him. So Bochecha starts having a, a, an actual honest-to-goodness breakdown on the mic. Starts crying uncontrollably, uh, talking about his friend... Fucking Mitch Chilson prompted this breakdown. He, like, encouraged it. So, okay, Bushesha may have, like, mentioned that, okay, this was a really tough camp for me. He wasn't alluding to the events directly at first. And he was like, okay, so it was a really tough camp. It was, uh, I was thinking about maybe pulling out from this fight. As you know, I've lost one of my best friends. And, like, Mitch Chilson, oh, yes! I have heard that you've lost one of your best friends. Please tell us more about this so we can put it up on YouTube and put up a, an embarrassing cry emoji on the thumbnail. And so Shecha continues to break down and uh, Mitch Chilson stands there with this, his blank fucking robot face and as Bucheche is like, continuously becoming more and more distressed and incoherent. And to top it all off, Mitch Chilson fucking goes... Okay, now that you've relayed your like sobering, harrowing story of your best friend being killed by street violence, baby daddy Chatri is gonna give you fifty thousand dollars with like the biggest smile on his face, like one of those smiles like that uh, are created by people inhaling the Joker gas. You know, one of those yeah, at miles. this point, I'm pretty sure Mitch Chilson is, is just, like, an AI. Yeah, it's like, it's one of those situations, and I can't believe that I'm saying this, but it's one of those situations where I would, would have genuinely preferred Joe Rogan to be in there. Because he would have, would have actually acknowledged the situation, and he would have addressed that, shown compassion, cut the interview short, if need be, and that's that. And uh, because one, I guess, is this uh, is fueled by venture capitalism and social media numbers that are to, and analytics that are they do not disclose. Well, and also uh, the fact that all of their commentators are just like uh, a series of preset like one-liners and dumb punchlines, uh, just like fueled, kept alive solely by just hideous amounts of cocaine. Also, doesn't help. And this isn't even getting into their practices with their female fighters. Oh, oh my they, god! They basically, just hey, look, they're attractive. Let's put a bunch of thirst traps. Yeah, he, as he's, the, he's a tuki, as the picture. He's a tuki Ito's ass. It's her ass. Yeah, it's in like, your oh, don't face. you, you want to fuck Stamp Fairtex? They'll even sexualize underage fighters, uh, which is pretty uncomfortable. And like one has some of the most disgusting business practices in MMA, which is saying something. Yes, 
And uh, it kind of pisses me off because I know the forbidden technique mostly tries to focus on the fights. But when you, and I'm sure it frustrates you to no end, Silas, as well, but when you talk, whenever you talk about one, you just can't get away from it all. Yeah, no, we talk, yeah, we talk about this every time we talk about one. And even when, even when it's just me and Christian and, you know, we tend to not get as deep into these kind of other things surrounding the fights, it's still, you can't help but get into the stuff. You know, just there's so, so much just weird shit going on with every aspect of one with, with their rule sets and their judging and the championships and their weight classes and the whole weight cutting it, thing and exploitation. It just feels very dystopian. Uh, marketing, just, it's, yeah. It's one of the most nefarious combat sports organizations that there is operating today, which is a stacked field. It's like one gets uh, the core aspect of uh, good fight events, right? Have a bunch of cool fights happen on one night. Don't spread them out. Don't smear them on this gigantic piece of bread with with only one spoon spoonful of butter. Uh, like with maybe one or two fights being worthwhile on the card. Have a bunch of cool fights happen on the card. That's why people would tune in and watch the sport. Except they somehow, for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's the Mafia connections, maybe it's something else, but they feel the need to add all this shit to, the, to, the, to, the, to, to this perfectly serviceable, like, fucking piece of, piece of bread with butter on top. Yeah, their business practices are as shady as the lighting in their events. Hey yo, hi yo, haha! I had to, I had to say that one. Okay, oh, yeah, right. One championship sucks. Okay, so uh, there's a UFC card. In fact, the first UFC card in France. That's pretty cool. Um, the card was a lot more stacked at one point. Has had a few cancellations that have left it looking a little bit thin, but still promises to be you know, a, a solid fight night. And a yeah, there's uh, there's a bunch of people on it with no Wikipedia pages and no uh, portraits, which I suppose makes sense because they want to bring in local talent. Yeah, and because it's new it's French the first, first ever MMA event in in France well, because UFC MMA event has been anyway banned. The biggest loss the cards had was was Cedric Dubé getting taken off of it. Oh, Oh, I forgot about that. Oh yeah, Bellator have done. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so the UFC does not get the honor. The first UFC in France, then. And uh, Uh, a main event, which is probably the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Yeah, with with the main event that I called for after both of their last fights. And that I made a pretty strong and controversial controversial take on at the time that I have to stick to, um, that you're probably both going to agree with me on. We're just going to make this podcast look fucking stupid. But spoiler alert, uh, I'm going to pick Taito Ivasa for the reasons being that, you know, Cyril Garn, we've talked about Cyril Garn a bunch. We've all talked about him. He's a solid, okay fighter who, like fighting nerds and analyst type people, uh, just fucking lament because, like, th- th- there's this, like, weird casual narrative that he's, like, absolute technical perfection. When he's, in fact, a relatively, like, 
rudimentary outfighter who like has a few tricks that are annoying for heavyweights, but doesn't really have a tremendous amount of the kind of technical depth that you'd like to see out of a really seasoned outfighter, which is fair because he's not actually that experienced despite coming off of a, a, a title fight. Um, but I, I mean, <laughs> another cancellation on this card I was, uh, I was disappointed with was Manon Fioro versus Jessica Andrade because it's this exact same fight and Manon Fioro coming out of the same camp of Cyril Garner. Uh, uh, I mean, they've just had the, the exact same career arc where uh, they kind of come into the UFC like with these like really aggressive styles, actually putting their physicality on people, but still with some like with some neat sneaky tricks. And as soon as they get a rising competition at all, become these really cautious, but as I say, also very rudimentary outfighters where you just like go southpaw and circle out behind check hooks and sidekicks to the knee. You know, it's classic Valentina Shevchenko slash uh, Jackson Wink era, Oconoreem, Alistair Overeem outfighter stuff where just, you know, you just go southpaw to, to deny exchanges. But you didn't, there isn't, there really isn't the, you know, the the depth as a counter puncher and like the tight tight pivots and you know, See, Cyril, Cyril Gunn is just fucking boring. Yeah, he, that, that's the he, primary. That, that's the main problem with him. It's not, no, but that's not even the problem with him because he could be he could be boring and have like way better fundamentals about how he maintains himself off of the back. I foot. mean, yeah, but he can't. Like but he he's doesn't boring and also doesn't do. Th- things right yeah so here's the thing Taito Ivasa not everyone's idea of like a super technical fighter but but here's the thing he can maintain steady pressure behind a switch up of just like fainting jabs and low kicks and he can cut people off along the cage with like hard sweeping strikes and he can stay really composed in the pocket and land like accurate counter combinations off of the back foot. That makes him like absolutely as technical as like any fucking Eugene Behrman or Trevor Whitman striker. Um, I, th- I think uh, Taito Vass is going to knock out Cyril Garn because I just, I don't see Cyril Garn getting the finish against Ty or being able to maintain himself on the back foot against someone who actually is dedicated to pressuring him and like punishing him for putting himself out of position and just running away. And like I say, not, having the tools to actually keep someone off him for five rounds. And I don't think he's going to finish Ty and he's probably going to try to wrestle him. But he's not a great wrestler. He's just, just a thing that he does against all of his opponents if it's there. Yeah, and Ty Tuiwasa has also engaged in wrestling with Derek Lewis. Mm-hmm. And was successful. What do you guys yeah. reckon then? So, uh, I, I you, you, you'll, to... uh, you'll jump jumping off this one with me? I want to say I wholeheartedly believe Tai Tuivasa is going to win, but to cover our ass, I will give an account for Gan. I think he's going to have a lot of success uh, with the range. Uh, Tai Tuivasa is not as long, and he fights very short. And I think Gan is going to have a lot of success jabbing him and getting free offense off, just with like tepid outfighting stuff. Like, in though he is a rudimentary striker as an outfighter. He's really athletic and he'll have like shades of greatness where he, you know, he'll, he'll do something really sneaky in a combination. He'll like slip out of the way of something, land a hook and then a knee to the body and then fade out in a really aesthetic way. And you're right that he, he's very basic, but I think that that type of basic offers a lot of room for creativity in this matchup. And in the clinch, 
Ty is definitely more ferocious, but I think he's just less clean. So I think that it's very possible. Gon that Gon's is really cleanliness. fucking strong as well. Yeah, he's very strong. He's one of the best athletes in the division. He's been able to stall in the clinch against Ngano, so that tells us something. Yeah, though Ngano is bad in the clinch, despite being very strong. Very hard body kicker as well. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. Uh, the the one thing that I could suggest that Cyril Gunn can do, not will do, but can do, that gels well with his style is go for spinning attacks while uh, Taito Iwasa pressures. Spinning back kicks to the gut, spinning elbows, that kind of bullshit. Obviously, it could also get him countered if he mistimes a spin and uh, Tai just decides to just... Okay, fuck it. He's uh, he's showing his back. I'm going to pounce at him. Uh, but could be a decent uh, attritional damage type weapon uh, that could serve him well in this fight. I can definitely see uh, Garn being frustrating uh, for Tai. Like, he... He can, he can be more varied with his shot selection than I was talking about earlier, and like if he really commits to like strong attritional work, then like he could just like gain a lead that he can sit on over the course of the fight. Like he has tremendous cardio to be able to maintain the style he does for such a big guy. As you say, he's just flat out one of the best athletes in the division. He just doesn't generally have a ton of stopping power in his strikes. Yeah, his cardio I think is his best benefit in this fight. The one thing that I have always historically disliked about Gun is his horrendous form with the right hand. It looks and, great when uh, he's jabbing, then as soon as he commits to the right hand, he just like throws himself way over his own feet and just puts himself it's, horribly it's out of position. Almost as bad as uh, JDS's rainbow overhand, mm-hmm. I would go as far as to say that. Which which is something that could be exploited by Taito Iwasa, obviously. You get him with an uppercut while he's just like ducking down and turning away to recover from like nearly falling over from throwing his right hand. Just yeah. sort of throw a um, tight left hook as well. Could work. Taito Iwasa could work. Is, is a very big hitter, but also a, a factor in Gon's athleticism is that his chin's pretty ridiculous too. Yeah. So I'm not... Yeah, I mean, Ngannou couldn't knock him out, but that was that was kind of 30% Ngannou. I mean, yeah, Ngannou with no knees at all. When I I try and think back to matchups that are kind of similar to the Ngannou-Tuivasa fight, I think of like Tanner Bozer, who is nowhere near the hitter of Ty, but he was landing pretty consistently, which is probably not the best look for Ngannou going forward. Because Tanner Bowser legit had himself in that fight despite losing it 30-27. He's finding good offense. Gon doesn't really like fighting someone that much shorter than him, so Ty might actually have some leverage in that he's six foot. An extremely superficial comparison would be JDS versus Mark Hunt, and obviously JDS just styled on Mark Hunt and demolished him. And obviously it was a very fading Mark Hunt. Uh, and uh, in... Serogan fights nothing like JDS, but dynamic is sort of similar. Similar. Tai Tuivasa also, huh? also lost to JDS. Yeah. So that I can see that was a different fight. Yeah, I admit. But uh, the way the path to victory for Serogan up. Pretty clear. Yeah, they're there. Like, if Cyril Gahn's going to win this fight, I can see 
how it happens, but I also just uh, have such a strong vision of the exact knockout sequence from uh, Edson Barboza versus Justin Gaethje happening. I just can't unsee it. I'm just so sure that that's going to happen exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's, out that's of, my pick. Out of sentiment. That's, uh, I'm going to say uh, Taito Vasa by third round left hook knockout. Out of, uh, out of sentiment. And uh, out of my sheer visceral hatred for Cyril Gunn. I would also pick Taito Ivasa in hopes of manifesting a brutal, ferocious knockout. So you gotta love Taito Ivasa. He's just fucking awesome. What a guy. Yeah. Though I, I do genuinely believe Taito Ivasa is gonna win, I'm going to pick Cyril Gan for the sake of variety, and I'm gonna say decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe you're the one to do that, Christian. But we, 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 uh, we this, is, this is an opportunity if, to make the podcast look incredibly fucking stupid. So I if I went first in the conversation, I would have picked Ty. But I go last, so I got to be the one that picks against. I mean, if you guys invited someone else, someone more straight-laced and normal, uh, you, you could have got two Cyril Gunn picks. No one on the website and likes think, Cyril Gunn. And, <laughs> and I think that's just unacceptable. Well, there's the difference. People who hate the fighters they talk about can still pick them to win. True, and uh, I I am more on the side of the, the like the fan side. I would like to root for my guy. Exactly. I would. Uh, I don't hate yeah. Cyril Garn. I don't want him to get knocked out. I just want Tai Tuivasa to win. I just want I want just I just want Taito Yuvasa to knock out Cyril Gunn. Yeah, exactly. I don't want Cyril Gunn to get knocked out exactly. by Taito Yuvasa. There's a there's a fine line, you see. But you do understand the line. Yes. I do. Yeah, I I really believe that Taito Yuvasa can and will win. And on the night <laughs> of the fight, I'm gonna be like, let's fucking go! Go Ty! Like anytime he has any success at all, I'm gonna go crazy. But when I step outside of that and just think about MMA as a whole, I'm like, oh, this guy has every athletic attribute except for power, and he has a good enough chin to insulate against the power differential, and he's fucking, like, twice as fast, and he's larger. He's, like, a larger heavyweight flat out. So, and also just, like, the guy that can actually outfight against a pressure fighter who is good at pressuring, but he's been pressuring people that, like, genuinely suck at moving backwards so you gotta take it with a grain of salt a bit we yeah, really who's good at pressuring who has fought Cyril Gunn? Uh, no one but there, he's fought people that are normally able to pressure in in certain contexts and then just kind of shut down their ability to pressure with his speed and cardio or at least their pressure will fade after a while like I could see Ty actually winning the first two rounds or first three rounds and then just being dog shit tired and Gon just starts out fighting him and he'll just start chasing him. Like, Ty has a great chin, but I could see him walking into some shit that gets him hurt by Gon. And Gon's not a great finisher, but if he hurts you, he, he can get some stuff done. And he's pretty consistent about keeping up volume if he has hurt you and you aren't going to be complacent. And Tai Tuvasa is so willing to fight a fight that he's losing that I think he can lose by finish. Okay. Fuck you. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, co-main Bro, event. Bobby Knuckles. He's fighting Marvin Vittori. Now, I'm just going to say, <clears throat> uh, many of us have had to like kind of 
check our expectations of Robert Whitaker because, you know, I think a lot of us see a fighter who, who who's as talented and athletic as Robert Whitaker and can do all the things that he does and in particular matchups looks like the greatest fighter on the planet. And then he has fights where he just reveals himself to be more limited than we've maybe been giving him credit for for a while. And I'm just, I'm, I'm okay with that with Rob Whitaker at this point. That being said, um, Marvin Vittori is like designed to make Rob Whitaker look good, right? Just like slow, plodding, southpaw who doesn't enforce strong directionality, who's like an okay takedown artist but can't do anything with it. Um, like really rudimentary defensively, can't deal with an open side double attack if the orthodox guy knows how to do it well. I think he's going to get absolutely taken to school by Bobby Knuckles. On like um, Overall, if you zoom out and look at Marvin Vittori and how he fights, yeah, that uh, could possibly... May that may very well be true, and uh, it's the Kelvin Gastelum fight a, again. Yeah, uh, it's just a Kelvin Gastelum fight against the guy who's bigger than Kelvin. Gastelum. Yeah, I th- that's, that's, I think that Marvin being a lot larger and way more risk averse is gonna kind of benefit him. I I do think Marvin's gonna lose by getting like consummately outclassed, but with caveat that if he commits to pressure, he could actually wear. Wear down, Robert Whitaker. He's because he's durable, durable enough fuck. and and, lo- and large enough for that to be possible is the thing. And Marvin Vittori always fights to his strengths, aka dumb. Yeah, and he'll go forward. He's he's, he, he's usually the right kind of dumb. He also got like outmaneuvered and right kicked the fuck up by Paulo Costa. True. I kind of thought Paulo Costa true. won that fight pretty easily. Paulo Costa is a lot larger than Robert Whitaker, I think. Yeah. Is he? I, I think. Okay, but Rob is just like way. Larger, but... I don't think he's that much larger, and I think Rob is uh, way faster, more mobile, just has better positioning and can set up those shots from like a better variety of situations than Paulo Costa. I think the I only, think, the only thing that's think the Vittori. only thing that truly truly worries me. Uh, in here is uh, Roberts. Roberts. Roberts never been the most durable fighter anyway, but uh, now it's becoming a concern in terms of like how how often he gets hurt in his fights. Yeah. Also, if Marvin Vittori hurt or knocked out literally anyone ever, I would be more concerned about that. True. He hurt Hermanson, who is about as easy to hurt if you're a southpaw. I would. Uh, I would put a caveat in here. It may be somewhat controversial. I think. Marvin Vittori has once again. It's like kind of like a Dominic Cruz thing in a, in a strange way, not because they fight anything alike, but more like Marvin Vittori clearly has the capacity to hurt people. He just doesn't have the technique to hurt people. He's just dog shit at punching, and that's the reason why he never really like knocks out or hurts anybody. He also fights dumb as shit. Yeah, he's also not quick or sneaky with the way that he punches. I just I don't see any yes. reason for him to to. To really be an issue for Robert Whitaker, even even if we're thinking Robert Whitaker is slightly faded and maybe not even quite the man we thought that he always was, it, it, like he's great at jabbing a southpaw, like that uh, that stance dynamic, you know, really just lets him get his kicking game going on, which we saw Marvin Vittori just have horrible trouble with against Paulo Costa. 
Um, and he's just going to walk into a, a, a million jabs and right kicks and not really have an answer for it and lose like a 30-26 decision. Yeah, I think Costa... Oh, fuck. <laughs> Vittori has the capacity to make this fight really ugly and uh, just kind of boring in sports by simply being physical and kind of trying to grind it out. And in sports where Whitaker may get overeager, he may get he may get caught with something, and maybe by chance, uh, Whitaker may look hurt in some of those exchanges. But largely, he should be able to easily out out volume Vittori uh, in every round. Yeah, I and uh, run away with the decision. I think this being three rounds favors Rob really heavily because Rob has great cardio, but he oh, could oh, be a victim it's, it's of his own rounds. pace. Yeah, he could be a victim it's of his own pace where he... T- okay, so then, yeah, Rob Whitaker easily. Yeah, <laughs> but like, were it to go... Were it of, wait, is it? Yeah, it's three rounds. Um, Like, he could be a victim of, of his own pace in this matchup in a five-round fight, but three rounds, it's just too consistent. And though... Yeah, it's something just, I want to entertain he, is we have... shit on him. He'll, he'll shit all over Vittoria. Yeah. yeah. Something yeah. I want to entertain, though, is Rob is, of course, a great defensive wrestler, but we haven't seen him have to flex that muscle in a while because he's fought people that are smaller than him or not wrestlers. Like, Gaslam's smaller yeah, than him true. and not as good of a wrestler to the point to where Rob could actually wrestle him. So Vittori could actually capitalize on Rob's takedown defense, just maybe being a little rusty, but we have no evidence to support that he actually will be regressed at that. If yeah, anything, he's probably Vittori better at it now. has never been the kind of top player that he's yeah. still that that is even really a concern to me in a matchup. Yeah, like it's more this. just that he could like clinch grind him, but again, that's so unlikely. Yeah. Also, not even that characteristic of Vittori. N- uh, yeah, and not a way that we've ever seen Rob Whitaker lose. Yeah. I just have to entertain it. We haven't seen him have to be a takedown defensive savant for a while. Yeah, I still believe in it, though. I'm still picking him very confidently. Yeah, I'm going to actually pick Rob to be the first guy to finish Marvin Vittori uh, with strikes. I could could see it. Like, that head kick is going to be there. I think it's a lot more likely that he just hurts Vittori really badly one round and seals a 10-8. But uh, it could happen yeah, like we could see a flashback to Rob's initial title run at 185 where he has kind of a difficult and frantic first round where he ends up beating the fuck out of the guy by the end of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm going to I'm going to say second round finish for Rob. I mean, that'd be cool. Um Sure, let's go with that. Yeah. Okay. So what else? going on on this card. Uh, John McDessie's fighting Nasrat Hakparast. I think John McDessie's going to win really easily. Hakparast is really just a worse Kelvin. Yeah. And he's incredibly jabbable. And John McDessie's got a great jab. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I Nasrat also had a weird thing where I think he's like very past it. He looked flat out shot against Bobby Green, which is not something you'd expect from someone as young as him. But he's had a difficult career, and people wear damage differently. So you can have a career like Nazareth Hakprast and be way past your best. Uh, and it's, it's like not that outlandish. But McDessie is literally old. He's like literally an old fighter. Yeah, he, he's, he's a veteran. But no, I, 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 think, yeah, I think I agree with Nazareth Hakprast that we just, for whatever reason, 
don't know if it's the training or just something doesn't didn't click with him, but I don't think I just don't think we ever saw him uh, like what could have been his best. And it's yeah, the uh, kind of that window has passed. He's just had too many hard fights and has never really like. Um, I mean, he you know he just he just plateaued really hard at a certain point. Yeah, and he always got the comparisons to Kelvin Gastelum. People would say he's just better Gastelum, but he's a worse Gastelum because he has worse durability and his trickiness wasn't uh, enabled to come out later into his career because he doesn't have the durability to even get that far into his career. Like Gastelum, yeah, Gastelum could eat shit and also grapple kind of in a scrambly way, and he has some tricks for his left hand where Nazrat is. Boxing is maybe better overall, but he doesn't have the same dynamic ability. Yeah, Gastelum has the supreme calm that comes with being completely unkillable. Um, and he's just, he's just like, uh, he's just faster for the division and middleweight's a worse division. So that does functionally make Nathra Hackbarast a much less effective Kelvin Gastelum for the division that he's in. Okay. Enough about the, the, the worst Kelvin Gastelum. Charles Jourdain, Nathaniel Wood. Nathaniel Wood. Rough one for Nathaniel Wood, seems like, coming off of a, a great debuting performance at the weight class. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ch- Charles Jourdain, he's, he's like the featherweight who's, um, you know, he, his problem is normally that he's just a little bit too small. But, like, he's really quick and extremely violent and always comes on really strong uh, as the fight develops and for like the first time in his career he is going to be fighting someone who's actually like smaller than him Nathaniel Wood's going to have a speed edge but I also think like also like like Charles Jordan his biggest issues come against people who are really insistent about pressuring him backing him up into the cage hitting him in the body like putting putting a physical game on him and Nathaniel Woods he's he's too much of a just a chill, open space kickboxer that's going to give Jordan all of the space that he needs to set up all Jordan of the cool shit that he also, likes doing. Has also showcased that he's an, an excellent clinch fighter against Burgess, and in certain exchanges, he basically manhandled Burgess, who's fucking gigantic for the weight class. And this doesn't uh, spell good things for Nathaniel Wood, I think. Yeah, I think Nathaniel Wood. I think he's going to be in there early. He's going to surprise Jordan. You know, he, he's, uh, like I say, he's got a great speed edge at, at this weight class. And, you know, he's just, he's a very confident fighter. He he can do everything. Um, just, it, it, I'm just not sure how he keeps himself in this fight when Jordan really starts turning things up. Yep. Yeah, Jordan, uh, this is the smallest guy he's fought, but he fought Andre Yule, who is a oh, yeah, fucking he did, it's probably large about bantamweight. The same. Yeah. Large yeah, bantamweight, he, small featherweight like Nathaniel Wood. And it's kind of similar style, but just not, not as good as Nathaniel Wood. <laughs> yeah, I think Nathaniel Wood is actually going to have more success than we're expecting. Because just looking at Charles Jordan's record, uh, he's just not that consistent at all. And Nathaniel Wood... Many mm. things, inconsistent's not one of them. So I think even if in a losing effort, he's still going to put a pretty good account of himself and uh, make Jordan look bad for long stretches, even if Jordan ends with a cool highlight. Like I say, it's more the fact that, that um, 
uh, Nathaniel Wood just isn't much of a pressure striker, um, and and that that is you know even though Jordan he can kind of maintain himself off of the back foot. He doesn't mind being there, but he will just back himself up into the cage and just get stuck there and just get hit in the body a bunch of times. Um, and like uh, just as as well as the kind of physical dynamic, I, I just think Nathaniel would. Uh, yeah, just just being as patient he is and in, inviting those neutral space exchanges to Jordan is. I think he can get stuff done there. I just don't think the, the whole shape of the fight favors him in that kind of fight. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, when you know, especially when Jordan just starts just going fucking violence idiot mode, and as Tuman said, the the really nice educated work that he showed against Burgos in the clinch, where he yeah just. Uh, yeah, absolutely manhandled and much larger fighter who's not useless in that phase. Yeah, I think it's an obstacle. It's a little bit too hard for Wood to actually climb, but he's really diligent and responsible in most of his fights, and that type of thing uh, can throw a bit of a monkey wrench in Jordan's kind of snowballing style. But, you know... Woods faded before at bantamweight, but he's he's faded before after uh, getting beaten up a little bit. He he will he'll never be a victim of his own pace, but he will get tired if you beat him up. Mm-hmm. And you you don't want to fade in a third round against Charles Jordan. You you, you don't want to give him a wedge to start really getting his fight going. Yeah, especially as a smaller guy who has been finished by knockout before. It just feels like it's kind of set up for Jordan to just knock him out. Because Wood's a, a good bantamweight. Going up to featherweight, so it's just like, it's just not. The UFC's trying to set up a Jordan knockout, but I think Wood's going to make it look harder than they're expecting. Should be a good fight, though. I agree. Pro- probably early fight of the night contender. Um, I don't know what else we got going on on here. Nasruddin uh, Imavov versus Joaquin Buckley. Joaquin Buckley. This is this isn't what you do with Joaquin Buckley. This is weird. Like they're probably, trying to get him knocked out. Yeah, because I was going to say probably the thing to pick here is you know to pick Nasruddin Imavov to win by being a constant professional. I'm going to pick Joaquin Buckley on vibes. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick Imavov just by uh, attrition and then knocking him out with a straight punch. Yeah. I'm going to pick going to the fridge and getting more beer. I can see him. I can see Imavov just landing that same head kick because that's still just like an issue for uh, Berkeley with the way he reacts to strikes. He's just very panicked, and Imavov is. Like the one of the new hotness at 185. Yeah, so, I'm still not entirely sure how to assess him, but he's just, he's he's uh, pretty good at everything. He's a consummate professional. Yeah, I think it's a fight that leaves a lot of room for Imavov to look good. So I, I don't think Buckley's uh, dynamic power is really going to do that much against Imavov. I'm sure he's going to land some good shots, but Imavov seems to have a good chin on him. Yeah, so I'm I'm picking Buckley on pure vibes to do some weird shit. Yeah, we have uh, Benoit Saint Denis at 155 against Gabriel Miranda. I admittedly don't know who Gabriel Miranda is, but Benoit Saint Denis is the guy who got mulched by ZDS a little while back, 
and now he's at lightweight and he, he had his last fight at lightweight and he looked okay. He just kind of fought a guy that was also welterweight going down for the first time and he just wrestled the striker. So there, there's room for Benoit Saint-Denis to be interesting again. Uh, but so far, the most interesting thing about his career is how badly he got the fuck beaten out of him. So take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as we were saying, not a ton of uh, big names jumping out on this card, but that's kind of what you would expect from a regional show in a place where MMA has only just been made legal. It's kind of by design, really. Yeah. yeah. We skipped over it, but like Alessio Deshirko is fighting Roman Kapilov, which he sure is. It's good. It's a it's a fine fight. It, it's fine. way too high on the event. It should probably be yeah, like it's... the like the prelim headliner, but I don't know. It it should be exciting. Deshirko has got to have that weird middleweight fight right in the middle of the main card. Yeah, Deshirko is a fun fighter, and uh, Kapilov is interesting. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, how are you pronouncing his name? Christian? Say it again, please. Kapilov? I don't know. I just say it the way they say it on the UFC broadcast. It's Kapilov. Okay. Okay. Get your facts straight! Fuck! Anyway, yeah. yeah. So there's like... It's not, it's not... Well, I guess it makes sense because the UFC likes... Slotting in weird middleweight fights before the good middleweight fight. It's kind of like a prelude to Robert Whittaker <laughs> fighting. Yeah, it just shows the contrast. numerous times. There's a lot of middleweight fights on this card. It's yeah. kind of like an upper weight-centric card overall. So yeah, that's UFC Paris. It might be okay. I hope so. <laughs> I hope they have a good time. Always just hope they have a good time. Okay, so, yeah, that's all we're going to talk about this week. Uh, as yeah, as always, um, if you enjoy this content, all the other great stuff the Fight Site puts out, please consider come supporting us on Patreon, where uh, two minutes of the, of the Patreon tiers changed. Yeah, what's going on with that? Yeah, about that. There's going to be... The, I, I've written... Um, a detailed, lengthy announcement where I explain that there's going to be a major rework of the Patreon uh, so far. Um, uh, w- well, there's going to be a major rework of the Patreon. And so far, what how we did it is that we offered lots of customization options and offered lots of stuff like, oh, if you sub at this, uh, let's say, at the $50 tier, you get uh, an article each month at your request. But obviously, yeah, I just... Uh, Take, having taken a look at our backlog and uh, how our output has been progressing throughout these years and what sort of content we've been actually been uh, we've been actually able to put out i'd say that's unsustainable so there's going to be some major changes and major reworks and uh, expect more announcements soon we're also going to set up a ko-fi for one-off tips and most importantly commissions and through those commissions, you can gain access to those previously available uh, services that we uh, promised that we would be able to de- deliver on. But this time, it's not going to be monthly because that's kind of honestly, that's kind of insane. You just pay us a flat amount, commission a video breakdown, article, alternate commentary, whatever. The information is going to be on the Ko-Fi. You, you just uh, hop on the. Uh, Either give us a tip, or maybe if you wish to make a commission, make a commission, and we'll 
deliver on the commission, we'll negotiate on the timetable within which the commission will be fulfilled, the details of it, and all that good stuff that uh, makes capitalism work. Yeah. But even other than all of that stuff, you can still just come and pay $5 and you can gain access to a huge library of really high-quality analytical content, including all of the uh, alternate commentaries we've been doing for the main events recently um, and the alternate commentary that we just recorded for Demetrius Johnson versus Adrian and Marias 2. Um, and, of course, there's yep. also the Discord server, which is a great community where we have a ton of fight fans who are always having interesting conversations. Um we have a Forbidden Technique channel where you can come ask us questions, come give us shit about our stupid picks, just come hang out, talk to staff. It's a great community. Uh, yeah, basically, like, uh, if you're sick of uh, how the MMA discourse is generally the like on the internet and uh, how people interact with one another and how it's all about dunking on each other for clouds and all that other bullshit, the Discord is uh, really the place to be because... Uh, Really, like we we've uh, made we, we've managed to uh, gather an assortment of really interesting people from all walk, walks of life. Most of them train. Most of them really are really passionate about the sport. Uh, even those who are just more casual about the sport, they're still very interesting to talk to. They have lots of different uh, specific interests and ex expertise in different fields. And uh, long-lasting friendships have been made there in the Discord, and I'm not exaggerating. Mm -hmm. uh, and this podcast is a result of one of those friendships. Exactly. So. Yeah, we there both started go. off as patrons, and now we hang out all the time and, and watch uh, fight cards and then talk about them. Pretty cool. Yep. And also, remember to send some money to Tumen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Important to continue sending me money because I really, really need to... Find a place to live yeah, in. Because nobody wants two men to be beaten to death in a Siberian labor camp. That's just... Yeah, that, that wouldn't be very pleasant. But anyway. I would much, pre I would much, prefer to be get, uh, much prefer to get hit with the mighty penis memes than that. Prefer to get Call hit with $50,000! No, I mean... Uh, uh, I, I, honestly, at this point, I would receive $50,000 from uh, baby daddy Chatry because what, what, I, what am I going to do? I'm going to be like one of those crying ties debasing themselves in front of Chatry for $50,000. Well, anyway, okay. this has been the Forbidden Technique podcast. You can catch us next week where we're going to be talking about UFC 279 where for some reason Hamza Chimaev is fighting Nate Diaz. I've just seen that in the co Why? I've just seen that in the co-main event Tony Ferguson is fighting Li Jing Liang and I feel like I'm going to be sick. Just why? Fuck yeah. You're a terrible person Christian. I hate you. Fuck you man. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I'm picking both Diaz and Tony. I respect it. Tune in for that. Okay. We'll see you guys later.